The title of my sermon this morning is Responding to the Word of God. Getting around when the lights are, are off is kind of a hard thing to do. Here, here's, here's the example that came to my mind when I'm thinking about this. Um, we have a downstairs like entryway foyer-like space. You, know, you enter the house, you flip the switch, and the light goes on. That, that's the goal. But this light somehow is connected to three different light switches. So I have the light right next to the door and the switch right next to the door. Then you go upstairs, there's a switch on top of the staircase because the stairs exit at this particular location as well. And then there's a random light switch near the kitchen that no one ever uses except when they flip it to mess up the entire light situation. So when you're in you know, the middle of the night trying to go downstairs, you flip the light on and it doesn't go on. And let's just say walking down a set of stairs when there's no light is not a very easy thing to do. And, uh, and it's something that's kind of a pain. So if you know anything about electrical stuff, you should come talk to me because I might have some work for you. I don't know. Trying to figure out how to, to fix these light switches. I cannot even imagine what it was like back when, right? If we go back in time before electricity, I mean, I am such a child of this generation when it comes to technology, it is sad. I mean, we don't even have cable anymore. I watched somehow through Hulu and watched all the football games yesterday, had a great time. Don't even have cable anymore. My cell phone is more than just a cell phone. I read my Bible on it. I have my calendar on it. I mean, everything. I couldn't live without it. I'd lose my mind if I lost my cell phone. Yet, going way back in time, like going back, I don't know, maybe not way back in time, but, you know, Ten years ago, things have changed. I'm talking about when there was no electricity, though. Maybe, I don't know. When was electricity invented? A couple, you know, decades ago, no? (laughs) But a while ago, you go back in time when there's no electricity, they had it even harder than we did, you know? And I just, I think in my mind, I think about all the Christmas lights blaring out in front of my house, and I realize how much electricity is valued uh, in in our day and age. But here's kind of a story that talks about how, you know, when there's no electricity, when you don't have the light, oftentimes you make mistakes. And those mistakes often have consequences. Back in the days before electricity, a terrified, not a terrified, let me try that again. Back in the days before electricity, a tight-fisted old farmer was taking his hired man to task for carrying a lit lantern when the man went to call upon his girlfriend. Why, exclaimed the farmer, when I was a courtin', I never carried one of them things. I always went, always went, went in the dark. I always walked in the dark. Yes, the hired man said wearily, and look what that got you. No, only me. The hired man, okay, never mind. The point is that, you know, this morning we're going to talk about the benefits of walking in the light of Jesus Christ. Benefits of walking in the light when things are illuminated. It's always a good thing to walk around when the electricity, when the lights are on. And that's so much, so very much the case when it comes to Jesus and our relationship with him. But before we do, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Father in heaven, I praise you and I thank you for all that you've done. Bless us now as we enter your word and allow us to truly understand what it says. Allow your spirit to have an influence upon our lives and allow us to know that you have a plan for us. Allow us to follow your light and just shine, allow your light to shine through us and re- allow your light to be reflected upon others through us. So Lord, I thank you and I praise you in your wonderful name. Amen. If you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8, we're going to look at verse 16 to 18, the parable of the lamp, which follows quite closely to the parable of the sower, which was my text from last week. So last week I told you that true believers or followers of Christ are like the seed that fell on good soil. This seed fell upon the good soil, it sprouted, and it grew. And as as, uh, Jesus said, it grew up and produced a crop a hundred times as great. The evidence of a Christian's salvation is the Holy Spirit within them, and the evidence of the Holy Spirit within a person is the fruit that they produce. So the service, the works they do, the things they do for the Lord. 
No fruit equals no Holy Spirit, and no Holy Spirit equals no salvation. Um, bottom line. Today we're going to continue discussing what it means to be a true or genuine follower of Christ by looking at Jesus' parable of the lamp. Like I said, I believe that Luke chapter 8, verse 16 to 18 answers this question. This, so this is the money question for today. How should a follower of Christ respond to the Word of God? How should a follower of Christ, how should a Christian respond to the Word of God? In my text, we're going to see that Jesus tells us, gives us two actions that a Christian should take. A Christian must take and must make to show that they are responding appropriately to God's Word. So two points this morning. First of all, Christians need to speak the Word. Christians need to speak the Word. Uh, look at verse 16 and 17 of my text. Luke chapter 8, verse 16 and 17. Now no one, after lighting a lamp, covers it over with a container and puts it under, or puts it under a bed. But he puts it on a lampstand so that those who come in may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not become evident, and nor anything secret that will not be will not be known and come to light. So, light is a good thing, right? I mean. Uh, We'd have a hard time getting around, right, if we didn't have light. But imagine if you, you lit a candle. I mean, again, this is kind of going back in time. You know you, you know, you turn the light on your cell phone and then covered it with something. You know, like imagine if you, uh, you hid the light. You know, I, I think about these lights. How, what good would they be if we covered them up? They wouldn't be doing the job. They wouldn't be illuminating uh, the room in here so you can read your Bible and you can follow along with what's going on. When people enter into your home or a room within your home, they will be unable to see what's going on around them if the lights are off. That's kind of what Jesus is getting at here. Your guests will be walking around in the darkness instead of the light that you could be providing for them. This, in this parable, Jesus is comparing the light that we illuminate, you know, the light that we have, that we see, the light that illuminates a room or a house. He's comparing it to the light within a believer, within a follower of Christ, uh, the light that they receive when accepting Jesus as the Lord and Savior, when accepting the Word of God, when accepting the gospel message. When someone receives the good news, when you get good news of any type, you don't want to keep that, that good news hidden. I mean, I'm going to probably give it away. Where did I write this down? I guess I'll hold off on this example. Well, I'm going to tell you the example now. So, my mother was just here last week, right? And when my mom's here, you know, she, she gets a little googly eyes over the grandkids. She gets so excited, and it's almost scary, right? You know, I mean, they just love her. They take all the pictures in the world. It's like you haven't seen them before. But that's what she does. And same thing with parents, right? You know, we go, my kids are in karate. It's amazing how Tabitha there's always recording something. I'm like, it's the same thing they did last week. Why are we recording it again? But that's what they do. I mean, my mother has boxes of stuff I made in the basement. They're in her basement that she never sees, but she has tons and tons of boxes of all the little drawings I've ever made in the basement. And I guess we can say the same thing with my kids, and I'm sure you guys can relate as well. My point here is that when you have something that you want to share, you're going to share it with other people. It's amazing how many pictures my kids have that they've drawn for me that are either on my refrigerator at home or hung up in my office. You know, I mean, when, when my mother goes to her, her place of employment, she's always showing something that she sees on Facebook about her grandkids because she's happy about those grandkids. She doesn't want to keep them hidden. She wants other people to know about them. And that's the same case here. The same is the case here with our relationship with Christ. We, we can't keep that light within us hidden. What good is that? We need to illuminate. We need to shine that light upon everybody else. 
Now, verse 17 closely ties into verse 8. So let's look back. I'm going to read verse 8 from my text last week, and then I'm going to reread verse 17. So verse 8 says this. Jesus says, Other seed fell into the good soil and grew up and produced a crop a hundred times as great. And as he said these things, he would call out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Um, I think I really should have read this. Um, this is verse 10. Too. I'm going to read you verse 10. And he said, Jesus said to his disciples, after being questioned the meaning of the, the parable, he said, To you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to the rest it is in parables, so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. And now verse 17 again from my text this week. For nothing is hidden that will not become evident, nor anything secret that will not be known and come to light. So the secrets of the kingdom of God, the secrets of the gospel, the word of God, which are hidden from, from the others during Jesus' time, were spread to all the world by his followers, by his disciples. Why? Because Jesus' early followers couldn't contain it in the same way that a grandmother can't contain but show, can't 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 relent, I guess, can't prevent herself from showing those pictures of her grandkids to everybody. That's the same. That was most definitely the case of in Jesus' time. After Jesus rose from the grave, after the Pentecost, the day of Pentecost came, the Holy Spirit came down upon the earth. The early church couldn't, couldn't help themselves. They couldn't hold themselves back from telling other people about Christ. That needs to be our battle cry as well. That's really my point here. We need to speak the word Christians need to tell other people about Christ. This means evangelize. You need to evangelize to other people. John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus is the light that illuminates the entire world. If we walk in the light, the light of Jesus will shine upon us. Right? If you're, you, know, you walk out at night, you're walking around, it's real dark until you walk under a spotlight. You know, well, unless you're around here, sometimes those spotlights aren't working. But the point is the light's going to illuminate you. It's going it's to lighten up what's around you. Or if you're walking down the stairs in the middle of the night and the light ain't working at the bottom of the stairs, you pull out your cell phone and turn your light on. And you're, you're guiding yourself through that light. Jesus, the light of the world, wants to illuminate you if you allow him to. As a result of the light of Christ upon your life, you need to reflect that light back towards Him, kind of like the moon in the, up, in the, up in the sky, right? The moon doesn't light itself, it's just a giant rock. But the moon is reflecting the sun. Christians need to reflect the sun as well. Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 5, uh, verse 14 down to verse 16, this is really the same um, parable that he gave, just kind of slightly different according to Matthew. Uh, Jesus says, You are the light of the world, meaning talking about his followers. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. You let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So while Christ is no longer physically walking amongst us, there are times, we talk about this in Sunday school, there are times I wish he would. It'd be a whole lot easier if we can dial, you know, 1-800-Jesus you know, kind of thing and get to talk to him on the phone and kind of get a little bit down to the, you know, get more to the point when it comes to some, some prayer request that we might have, right? But while Christ is no longer physically walking amongst us, guess what? The rest of the world, believers and unbelievers, can see Jesus. 
And they see Jesus in us. They see Jesus in Christians. As a result, you need to shine your light. Shine the light of Jesus within you upon all those around you through living your life for Christ and through preaching or speaking for Christ. Speak the gospel. As Jesus tells us, Matthew chapter 16, verse 15, And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. All creation is everything. Go everywhere and speak to everyone about what Jesus has done in in dying on the cross to forgive you of your sins and rising from the grave so one day you can enter the gates of heaven. But now this brings me to a, a pretty important question. How? How do we preach the gospel to all creation? You know, it's easy for me to say, go and do it, but what are you supposed to do? If, if you uh, go look, and I think it's the coat room now, there's that um, little stand that has all the different tracks we have, and, and I put together a church track that has our church information on a lot of it, but in the inside it tells people how to become a Christian, and that's essentially what I'm going to present to you right now. What we often say is that it is easy as ABC. It's easy as ABC. The first thing someone needs to do to become a Christian is admit that they are a sinner. Admit that they are a sinner. If your name isn't Jesus Christ, guess what? You've committed a sin. And every other person that's ever walked upon this earth that isn't also God has committed sins. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. One sin, and you fall short of God's glory. There isn't in, no in-between. It's either all in or not. You know, if you can't live a perfect life, which guess what? You can't. You will never live to the standards of the Lord. You will always sin, and you need to first admit that you are a sinner. Then you need to believe that Jesus died on the cross to forgive you of your sins and rose from the grave so that you can go to heaven when you die. Um, John chapter 3, verse 16, you hear it so frequently. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have eternal life. I like verse 17 too. I think they just go together so well. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world or to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Jesus' primary work in coming to this earth, God's primary work in coming to the world is to save you. Praise God. We need to believe that in our heart. The essential elements of our belief is that Jesus died to forgive us of our sins and rose so we can go to heaven when we die. That's it. That's the most important part of what we believe in. So if we can admit that we are sinners, if we can believe that Jesus died and rose again, we then need to confess. That's the C-A-B-C. Confess that Jesus is Lord. Uh, Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10 says, If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. One believes with the heart, resulting in righteousness, and one confesses with the mouth, resulting in salvation. You see, if you believe in your heart... You need to then express it outwardly. This is, another, this is actually where I was going to originally give you that grandmother illustration. If you believe something within you, you want to tell other people about it. If, if you love your children so much that you're going to show pictures of your kids to everybody, if you love your grandchildren so much that you're going to continually show pictures of your grandchildren to anybody and everybody, whether they want to see them or not, you need to do the same about Jesus. I mean, honestly, what more could we do? We need to tell others about Christ, and and, and that's kind of where this confession believes. I like to say that to confess Jesus, it it, it involves evangelism, but really what it involves is putting Christ on display through your words and your actions, meaning living for Christ. Live for Jesus. Live for Him and trust in Him. If you can admit that you are a sinner, if you can believe that Jesus died and rose again, and if you can confess that belief outwardly, then it's time to pray. 
Talk to God. Now, this is a prayer that we wrote again. This is all right from that little, the little booklet, little uh, track that we have. Grab one. Use it for your own personal use. Uh, you, know, you might pray something along the lines of these. It says, God, I admit to you that I am a sinner, but now I believe that you died to forgive me of my sins and rose from the dead so I can go to heaven when I die. I confess that you are Lord of my life. Amen. That's how simple that is. There's nothing more to it. Jesus' grace is sufficient enough to save you, but you need to embrace that grace. You need to accept it. I mean, if I was a quarterback, I mean, you know, I know Ohio State won, so I can't make fun of them, but, you know, certain teams, you know, if they, if they can't make a pass, you know, if you throw the football and you're not, the other team's not catching it, you know, you're not catching the ball, but kind of like the Browns, you know, it, it, it's difficult. You know, if you don't receive the, you can't, you don't receive the football, it's not a catch. You can't, you can't move along the field. You can't move down the field for a score. And the same is true here. As much as Jesus wants you to believe in him, it's on you. What are you going to do about it? The gospel message of Jesus' death on the cross to forgive us of our sins and resurrection from the grave so that we can go to heaven when we die is the most important piece of information a person can ever receive. Without it, whoever these people are will go to hell when they die. Bottom line, there's no way around it. No beating around the bush today. We need to tell everyone we come into contact with about Jesus if you do not tell the ones you love about Christ, then they will go to hell when they die. It's just, that's it. It's the natural consequence. There's no way around it. That's just the way it is. And then this is something I really thought a lot about. Don't assume that someone is saved. And this is difficult because we all have loved ones that we care about that maybe when they were younger, they, 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 they said a prayer when they were in high, and then they were at VBS over a summer or during a Sunday school class. But then they have not lived for Christ ever since. It'd be easy to, make, to go on that hope, to hope that they are saved. And I'm not saying that they're not. What I'm saying is I hope that they are. Because if they're not, they're in trouble. And it'd be easy for us to just step back and say, you know what, I'm good. They, they said they believed when they were 12. Now they're in, in their 30s and there's nothing we can do. But now they're in their 40s, now they're in their 50s. Oh, they, they must still be, be saved even though they don't come to church. They're not involved in God. They're not in a relationship with the Lord. The bottom line is, if you're not 100% sure, tell them about Jesus again. Continually tell them about Christ. Don't stop. Continue to speak the word. So the first thing that a Christian needs to do in responding appropriately to the word of God is speak the word. Now number two, we also need to hear the word. Christians need to also hear the word. Look at verse 18 of my text. Jesus says, So take care how you listen. For whoever has, to him more shall be given, and whoever does not have, even what he thinks he has shall be taken away from him. So let's, let's break down this verse. First of all, take care how you listen. Listen to what? Listen to the Word of God. Non-Christians are not the only ones who need to listen to God's Word. Listening to the Word of God is not a one-time, you know, one-and-done type thing. Just because you listen to the Word of God and, and, and uh, moved forward with it and, and responded to it when you were at vacation Bible school, when you were at a Sunday school class, when you were in youth group, does not mean that you can close this book and put it on your coffee table. This book should be opened on a regular basis, on a daily basis, and you need to learn from it. We learn from it, obviously, from reading it on a regular basis at home, but we also learn from it by being involved in church and being involved in Bible studies. We have to. Christians need to do this for our own benefit, for our own growth, for our discipleship. And then Jesus says, whoever has to him, more shall be given. This is kind of common sense, right? If you have a little of the Word of God, guess what? You're going to take that next step. 
You're going to continue growing in your faith. Uh, I don't know a good example of this. The, you know, a child's going to keep on growing, right? You know, a child, if I, if I stop feeding Katie, she wouldn't grow as well. So I'm going to continue to feed my daughter so she can continue to grow into an adult. The same is true here. As a Christian, if we stop feeding ourselves God's word, we're going to, our growth is going to be stunted. It's going to be stopped. We need to continue to grow in our relationship with the Lord. No matter how long you've been a Christian, you might, have, you might say, oh, I've been a Christian for 50 years. I think I know everything. Well, guess what? I don't think you do. You know, there's more to learn. There's more to, more to work upon. And then Jesus says, whoever does not have even what he thinks he has shall be taken away from him. What this is really talking about are those people that they might think they have a little bit of the gospel. They heard about the gospel. They might have embraced it. But in the end of it, if you don't live it, if you don't apply it to your life, it's just going to go away. Either from a perspective of, oh, I don't know Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Maybe someone never really accepted Christ. The information isn't pertinent to their lives. It doesn't matter. You know, if I, if I don't believe what it says, my faith isn't going to grow. You need to believe what it says. But also, again, if you've accepted Jesus, and maybe it was a genuine salvation experience, but you don't continue to read your word, you don't continue to grow in your faith, then, then you're not going to grow. You're not going to grow bigger. Like I said, like with, with a child, if you stop feeding the child, next thing you know, you're going to have some problems. That kid's not going to grow, and maybe CPS is going to come out. I don't know. God is going to come around and come looking for you. You know, GPS, God Protective Services kind of thing, right? You never know. Jesus may also be talking about the different types of soil as well. If you remember last week, we talked about rocky or thorny soil, uh, two locations where the seed fell and it looked good at first, but then in the end of it, it was not. It was fake. It wasn't genuine uh, works. It wasn't genuine service for the Lord. And this is kind of where, where it comes back in this context, right? There are people that enter into our fellowship. There are people that you interact with that, that say they're Christians, that, that look like they're diehard Christians at first. But then they take a step back for whatever purpose. And, and it becomes very evident that they never were saved in the first place. And I told you last week that I would call these people fake Christians. And it's hard. Because there are people that look good. They might have, might have responded well. But they don't always live it out. They don't continue walking with the Lord. And the bottom line there is that Christians need to continue to grow in their walk with Christ. We need to continue to grow even after we've been saved. John tells us this in John chapter 1, uh, verse 5 to 6. He says, or 1 John chapter 1, verse 5 to 6. This is the message we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. Meaning, this is the message that, that John and, his, and the other disciples have heard from Jesus that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. Then verse 6, to, six and 7 are really the key verses here. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sins. That's, that's kind of where the essence of what I'm trying to get at here is. If you're walking in the light of Christ, then you're living for Jesus. If you're not walking in the light of Christ, you're not living for Jesus. That's the point. You need to live for Jesus. Verse 8 down to verse 10. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Followers of Jesus need to live their lives in the light of Christ. We need to stay in the light of Christ. This means walking with him in the light, living for him. So now there's my money question. What, how 
Do we walk with Jesus in the light? How do we do this? Right? It's easy for me to say it, but how? What are some practical things that you can do to make sure you're living for Jesus? Here they are. I like to say them quite frequently. They're what I call the big three. First of all, we need to talk to God through prayer. Any, communica- any relationship is useless if there's no communication. If I stop talking to my wife, I'm pretty sure she might get mad at me. That or she'd nag me enough and eventually I'd start talking to her again. Um, the, the point is, every relationship, you've got to have good communication. Uh, John writes, 1 John chapter 5, verse 14 and 15. This is the confidence which we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request which we have asked from him. You need to talk to God. Pray to him. I mean, and you know what, too? And here's the thing, too. Frequently we pray to him when things are going real bad, right? If we turn to God, that, that's the easy time to pray when things are going real bad. But when things kind of go a little bit easy, when things are just kind of going smoothly, we take a step back and we're not as worried. We don't need to pray to God. We have it under control. But that's not what he wants us to do. He wants us to enter his presence with confidence and communicate with him, just like you would communicate with another loved one. So you need to talk to God through prayer. You also need to listen to him through his word. Listen to him through his word. Uh, don't, don't, again, this book cannot just be a, another, uh, okay. My father, for some reason, so we have been out of the state of Connecticut since I was 18, give or take. You know, I think I moved back briefly, but since I was like 21, I have not lived at home, and I'm almost 36. You know, so we, but we've left stuff there. You know, we had big boxes of stuff. Like, I don't, I don't even remember where this stuff came from. My father has decided that he no longer wants it in his basement. So all these short trips that he now has to make, he's not flying across country, he's driving eight hours. He's bringing us this stuff. And, and I don't even know some of the stuff he's brought me. Like, I don't even know where I got these books from. But they're like coffee table books. They're the books you'd put on your coffee table and you'd, I guess you'd read them. I, I would also call them bathroom books because they're useless for any other purpose you know, than just reading when you have no, way too much time in your hands. This book shouldn't be that. This book shouldn't be hidden beside the toilet. This book should not be just sitting on the coffee table. It should be open daily, and it should be read daily. Uh, I, I like to say the, the navigators have this thing with the hand. Uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of this before. We need to hear the Word. We need to read the Word. We need to study the Word. We need to memorize the Word, and we need to meditate on the Word of God. So five things. Hear the Word, read the Word, study the Word, meditate on the Word, and memorize the Word of God. And when you do that, you have a firm grip on the Word of God. If you're only hearing the Word on Sunday morning, you're never going to even be able to hold your Bible, let alone have a firm grip on it. If you're only hearing the Word and reading the Word, this is all you got. And if Tabitha came up here, I'm pretty sure she can pull that out of my hands. But when we hear the Word, when we read the Word, when we study the Word, when we memorize the Word, and when we meditate on the Word of God, we have a firm grip on the Word of God. And when the devil tries to come and steal it from us, guess what? I don't think so, devil. I got a firm grip on my Word. The Word of God needs to be alive and active, as the author of Hebrews writes, uh, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, for the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and, and, and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. This book needs to be more than just another book in your life. This is the living Word of God. So you need to talk to God through prayer. You need to listen to Him through His Word. So that's kind of the communication between us and God. You talk to Him through prayer. He responds through His Word. And then finally, you need to fellowship with Him through His church. Don't forsake the assembling of the saints, as Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23 to 25 says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For He who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more, as you see the day drawing near. 
Don't forsake coming to church. Church is important. This is essential. Of course, this isn't the only way we get church. Church is not necessarily a building. You know, anytime you interact with other Christians, you are fellowshipping with other Christians. I would say that this is an important element, though, coming and being a part of church. As, as the author of Hebrews writes here, you know, let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. We encourage one another. We lift each other up when we're down, and we encourage each other to grow closer to the Lord. We, can, we should never forsake our own assembling together, as is the habit of some. We know people have forsaken assembling with, the, with their fellow Christians. It just doesn't work. I'm not saying you can't read your Bible at home. I'm not saying you can't hear the Word of God and, and study the Word of God at home. I'm just saying you're missing out on something if you're not involved in church. So, if you are practicing these big three, then you are producing the fruit of the Spirit instead of the deeds of the flesh. So let me end with this as we prepare to close up. Uh, turn to me if you have a Bible onto Galatians chapter 5. If not, if you look in front of you, you might find one. Uh, Galatians chapter 5, I'm going to read verse 16 to 25, which also hits on uh, the fruit of the Spirit. And really, it really kind of drives my point home. Galatians chapter 5, I'm going to, like I said, verse, uh, verse 16 to 25 says this. This is the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Galatia. Galatia was a, is essentially the southern region of modern-day Turkey, um, ancient Asia Minor. Um, Paul writes, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For those are in opposition to one another. So that you may not do the things that you please, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. Now things like these summarizes everything else. Just because it ain't in this list don't mean it's not in this list, if you know what I'm saying. Things like these, of which I forewarn you just as I have forewarned you that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Then verse 22 here. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. The Word of God is the key to all of this. Speaking the Word of God to others is much easier when you are personally hearing the Word of God in your life. And, and, and we know, so this is, let me, let me back up. So, talk to God through prayer, listen to Him through His Word, and fellowship with Him through His church, and participate in the fruit of the Spirit. Allow the fruit of the Spirit to be what's coming out of your body. And as a result of this, you'll be able to truly hear the Word of God and speak the Word of God, as my two points say this morning. Speaking the Word of God to others is much easier when you are personally hearing the Word of God for yourselves. You know, it's easy to, oh, I can, I can talk about Jesus all you want, but if you're not living for Jesus, what message do you have? You know what, I, am, I like football, and I know a little bit about football. You know what I don't know anything about? Soccer. I couldn't tell you anything about soccer. Imagine if I tried to have a conversation with you about soccer. I mean, it just wouldn't make any sense. I would first need to learn about soccer in order for me to give you a better understanding of what soccer is all about. The same is true of God's Word. Before you go and speak the Word of God to another person, you need to be able to hear it and be able to understand what it means first. You need to hear the Word before you can speak the Word. Evangelism without discipleship is in reality 
ineffective. Bottom line, you need to grow in your faith in order to be more effective at telling other people about your faith. Let me close up. Now, one of the most, I, I would say, one of the most awesome sources of light in our world today is lightning. I don't know if you ever just sat out and watched a lightning storm. I don't know if that happens around here as much, but when I was in New Mexico, it happened all the time. And we were, the church I was at in New Mexico, um, the mission I was at, was at 7,000 feet. So we were rather high in elevation. So as a result, you can see the storms all around us. And you see these storms coming, coming towards you, but they never actually get to you for some crazy reason. You can just see them off in a distance. And you can watch the lightning in the clouds, and I just thought it was amazing. Now, this is some information I got from a National Geographic article about lightning. Lightning is an electronic or elect, electrical discharge caused by imbalances between storm clouds and the ground or within the clouds themselves. Most lightning, lightning occurs within the clouds. Uh, lightning is extremely hot. A flash of heat or a flash can heat the air around it to temperatures five times hotter than the sun's surface. Pretty crazy. About 2,000 people are killed worldwide by, by lightning each year. Strikes can cause cardiac arrest and severe burns, but 9 out of every 10 people survive. The average American has a 1 in 5,000 chance of being struck by lightning during a lifetime. Now, when I read that, I'm like, wait a second. That's, that, that's pretty good odds. 1 in 5,000. You have 1 in 5,000 chance of getting hit by lightning, meaning you're more than likely, if we're really going to be betting on this, you're more likely to be hit by lightning than win the lottery or anything like that. So if you're playing the lottery, I just... You might be just waiting to get hit by lightning or something. I don't know. So as powerful as the light produced by lightning is, the power of the light of this world is obviously so much stronger. You might have a 1 in 500 or 500, 5,000 chance of being struck by lightning, but it is guaranteed that you will go to hell if you die today and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Bottom line, turn your life over to Christ and allow Him to lead you wherever you are and lead you in this life so that you can better serve him. Let me close in prayer. Dear Father in heaven, I thank you and I praise you for all that you've done. Help us remember you and know that you are just an awesome God. Help us know that no matter what takes place in our life, no matter what we have to fight through, we know if we put our full trust in you that everything else will be okay. So Lord, I ask now that you bless us now. I ask that you just help us remember you in all that we do. Help us know that you have an amazing plan for us. And help us know that if we put our full trust in that plan, that everything else will be okay. Uh, Lord, now as we close, I ask that you help us truly look upon ourselves and know that if we truly follow you with all our heart, everything else will be okay. So Lord, in your name, amen.